When life bumps up against you, you have the choice to pucker up and put on a sour face or mix it up with ingredients like resilience, persistence, and grace into the delectable concoction only you can serve. We are Greer McVeigh and Whitney Wiley, speakers, authors, and entrepreneurs. We're also sisters, and since we were children, we've made a habit of turning challenges into the lessons and launch paths of our lives. Each week, we'll discuss the recipes that will turn your biggest challenges into the building blocks of the successful and fulfilling life of your dreams. On occasion, we'll include experts and thought leaders who'll join the party and you're always invited to. Join us as we share the sweet highs and sour lows and every drop of life in between. Along with our guests, we help you shake and stir your own lemons into lemon drops. Welcome to the Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops podcast. Hello, it's Whitney Wiley and Greer McVeigh. How are you today? I'm good, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. We have a fantastic show for you today. We have a guest, and we will be introducing her in just a minute, but Greer. Yes, ma'am. So you've been busy. <laughs> I have been busy. Well, I've been, I've been super busy with the launch of Capital G and the Capital G podcast and the blog that goes along with that. And obviously this uh, last week with the president's di reported diagnosis of COVID-19, uh, that has kept me really sort of super busy. Um, staying up to date on what's happening with him while still uh, looking at issues related to the, the election, which is less than a month from now. And of course, our guest today, who wrote a book, I got to read the book. So which it has been- Because our last episode was about <laughs> shutting it off and taking some downtime, taking care of yourself which also ties into our guest today, you know, taking care of yourself. Um, so I'm assuming you, you've said all that because you didn't quite take the <laughs> shutting it off advice from the last. Well, it, it was definitely in my plans. I had, a, I had a pretty hectic week last week and, you know, I'd been, I'd been sick or under the weather uh, for a few weeks a couple of weeks ago, I'm back, sort of back up and running. And, but I had sort of wore myself out last week and I said, you know, this weekend I'm gonna shut it off and shut it down and I'm gonna get some, some rest and just be at home and sort of edge out. And before I could get home, they were whisking the president off in a helicopter to, to Walter Reed. And the next thing you know, it was like, oh no, let's, and I was all animated and amped up. So yeah, no, no rest for the weary. That's, but that's it's okay. It, it's at least fun work. Next weekend. You could next weekend. <laughs> you know, what I'm going to do, what are, I'm going to call Whitney. <laughs> Wasn't that the thing? Everybody should yeah. have a Whitney. Everyone in their life, should so. have a Whitney. And Everyone should have a Whitney. So I'm going to call. If you don't know what that means, you need to go back and listen to the last episode. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to call Whitney. I'm going to call in a favor and take next weekend off. I, I get the feeling I might not be able to take any time off until after the election, but you know, I'll try. Probably true. How so, are you? How was your week? I had a busy week as well. Uh, did some training. I'm preparing for corporate, sitting on corporate boards for at some point in my life. And so I was in uh, Santa Clara University's corporate board readiness training program which was very interesting and something we should talk about sometime so yeah um but women in leadership i like that absolutely. that's one angle of it and and then preparation for absolutely next steps and education and training in general and 
And this probably also goes back to some of our previous episodes as well. So everything all ties together. It all ties together. And you know, you got to make some lemonade, uh, some lemon drops out of those lemons. Out of life's lemons. That's true. Life's lemons. Which brings us to our guest. And I am really excited that uh, she has chosen um, to join us. It is um, my pleasure to bring, uh, to talk with us today, a friend of mine who, um, while we don't have a long-standing relationship, we immediately upon meeting um, recognize that we had a lot of things in common, life experiences, um, primary among them, the topic of her book. So I want to say um, welcome Kathleen, Kathleen L, uh, for joining us. How are you today, Kathleen? I am awesome that I get to spend the next hour or 30 minutes or however long it is with you and Greer. I'm so excited to be here. It's good to see both of you. Thank you. So we're- You're actually our first guest who- Isn't family? Give birth to us. You're our first guest who is not, you know, a close family, you know, family or a close family friend. So you're oh. sort of in the hot seat. And what a, what feeling, a topic. What a, <laughs> I'm feeling a little honored or pressure, however you want yeah, to look at it. I would say it would to be, but that would be rude. So yes, we're the, ones who are, we're the ones who are honored that you would join us today and give us an opportunity to share your story and your book with our our audience um and a lot of people out there who may have experienced loss in life or i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into it but just loss and trauma and you know those kinds of issues and you'll we'll obviously talk more about that but even people who just you know, are grappling and struggling with certain kinds of things. So we will definitely get into that. So let's hear from you. So let let me introduce you officially and give our audience a little bit of background about you. And then Kathleen will invite you to, um, I don't know, not necessarily fill in some gaps, but give us a, a, a another sort of overview of who you are and what you're doing, and then we'll launch into some questions and just have a conversation. So Kathleen is a transformational speaker. She's a certified intuitive success coach and healer, and she is already a number one best-selling author. Um, and in addition to being a friend, she's a co-host of mine on the podcast, Beyond Your Best Plan. And co- Kathleen has coped with multiple traumas, but the death of her 19-year-old son from suicide was the catalyst that changed her life forever. Today, she's on a mission to help people who have experienced sudden unexpected loss or who have hidden trauma to connect with their joy, move beyond limiting beliefs, and change the trajectory of their lives. In her work, Kathleen teaches powerful healing techniques to help people move through their traumas. And whether that's a divorce, a job, substance abuse, emotional or physical abuse, COVID, race relations stuff, you know, all the things that I think all of us are feeling right now going through, you know, Kathleen shows people in the midst of their healing journeys how to take the next steps by redesigning their lives. So Kathleen, Again, welcome, and please uh, share a little bit more about yourself and your journey, and, and, and let's just have a conversation. Great. Thank you. Um, I often wonder who that person is when, they, when people introduce me. So, <laughs> um, uh, so I was born and raised in a small state, Vermont, and um, I started out my life really in a very fairly low income to moderate income home where my first, say, 10 years of my life, 13 years of my life was um, full of alcohol abuse um, and just uh, lots of trauma. 
And I kind of followed that throughout the rest of my life up until I was an elected official. Um, so I served in government for eight years. I was a, um, a government appointee for seven years and I was the CEO of a large commercial construction association for nine years. And so all of my adult life, I was of service in one way. And when Logan took his life in 2010, that was the catalyst that really changed on how I served in my, in my life. And um, it was at that point that, you know, in the book, it talks about um, what the turning point was for me. And we can talk more in depth about it, but there was a turning point after Logan died was for me to change how I served. And I just knew that every minute of every day of my life mattered and I needed to do something so where I could serve my life purpose. And I feel like my life purpose is to provide hope for those who have experienced a sudden and unexpected change in their life to give them tools so where they can move through it, um, whatever they're moving through and, um, to hold space for people to let them know that it doesn't have to be um, pain-driven, numb, um, masking kind of life. It can be really a fulfilled, bright, joyous, amazing life, no matter what we go through. That is such a good point. And I realize I failed to mention that the name of Kathleen's book is Shattered Together. Um, it is her story of um, her is her healing journey, and uh, and I love how you've said, and you know, and I know you beyond just you know preparing for this interview, that, but how you said this is just a change in how you are serving. You know, you served previously in a different capacity, more involved with politics as an elected official, as a lobbyist, and now you're just serving in a different way. And share a little bit about how that realization came to you. So after Logan uh, transitioned, and I like to say transitioned instead of died or no longer here, because I really believe that when someone no longer is here in their human body, their spirit, their energy is still always around. So that's why I choose to say tr transition. So after Logan transitioned, I was not as fluid with my healing as what I am today. And I truly wanted to die. Like I did not want to live on this earth. I lived in Vermont on my own. Logan's sister, Ashley, um, was going to college in South Carolina. Uh, I felt alone. I didn't want to be with anybody. And um, all I wanted to do was to be with Logan. And it really got to the point where I considered not taking my life. Like I just didn't want to be here. And the only thing that kept me here on this on earth was my daughter, Ashley, because I knew she couldn't withstand another loss in her life. And I'm laying on Logan's grave three to four months after his he transitioned and I was begging and screaming and just saying, please, whoever, whatever took my son, please take me to, I can't do this anymore. My, there was such heaviness on my shoulders. It felt as if the Empire State Building blew up and landed on me. And then my heart felt like it was being constricted like in a vice script, tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And no matter what I did, no matter what I, it just continued to get heavier and, and, and more constricted and, or restricted. And as I'm laying there begging and crying and screaming, you know, something caught my attention and my body became still and I'd stopped crying and I just, it was quiet. And I heard this most clear message that I've, that I'd had since before uh, Logan transitioned. It was like the message from above said, if this happened in your life, then you're meant to do something with it. So now do it. And it was at that moment I knew how I was responding to Logan's life was no longer honoring him at all. And I needed to do something different. 
And so because of my political experience, my media contact, my, my contacts in general, my media um, connections, I chose to delve into, at that, at that time, was suicide prevention. And so I did live interviews and um, I just changed the way, educated people about suicide and you know, changing the, the how you talk about suicide. You know, instead of looking at it as committing a crime, like committing suicide, I talked about how you change the language around it as, and see it as a mental health illness that it is versus describing it like a crime. And so, um, yeah, that's what I did is I just changed the direction that I was um, going in because of that clear message from above. Like it was definitely a clear message. I was given a gift at that moment. I hit my rock bottom. That's when I, you know, I was shattered. Mm. Go ahead, Greg. Well, when you say that you felt that you were no longer honoring him, did Mm. you feel you were dishonoring him? or that you were just being selfish? I mean, what, what do you think you were doing in those um, you know, intervening four months? I wasn't thinking, Greer. There was no okay. thinking. You know, I was existing and I was just going through the motions of what I had to do because really at that time, I could only go from minute to minute, hour to hour. I couldn't, I couldn't um, think. Like I just like if I had thought too far out, then it would have been so overwhelming. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom how life could be anything but this painful or more. You know, like I felt like I was torturing myself. I was. It was my fault that he died. Now, what what hasn't been talked about here that is in the book is that when Logan took his life, he wasn't speaking with me, and he actually wrote a note saying he didn't want me at his service. So it just like one thing after another just crushed me more and more and more. And I took on so much self-blame and so much guilt that if I was this professional who had owned and operated businesses, who was in the legislature, who'd worked for the governor, who ran a business, that the outside successes, how on earth could I not save my son? Like, how could I not save my son at that time? So um, when I had that aha, that was more about that that was how I could honor him. That's how I could keep his name alive. That's how I could keep him alive, that people could talk about him and continue to, like he existed and I couldn't fathom ever not talking about my son. I couldn't Is fathom. Is that how you came to a place where you decided to write the book Shattered Together? How I decided to write the book Shattered Together is, was more like, if this happened in my life, I have the voice and I have, I feel like uh, that, that I was put on this earth to do this. So I knew that I had to write a book early on, but I knew I wasn't prepared. Every time I went to write the book, it just, just crushed me more. And, and so it just brought me right back to the very beginning of where Logan, you know, when Logan was no longer here in his physical form. And so um, writing the book is not only in honor of Logan, but it is of Logan. Like this book, it was not just my book. This is the universe's book. There are so many things about this book coming out right up until a week before the book came out. We still didn't have a cover. We still didn't have the final um, uh, outline, the final um, interior design a week before. And, and, you know, the, the name of the book was channeled, the subtitle was channeled, the cover of the book was channeled. And, it, and that's why it was so like last minute, because I was like, I'm not compromising on this book cover because I was given this gift from the divine, from God, from Allah, whatever, whoever you call the higher power. I was given this gift and I know that this gift was meant to have this cover. And just like the 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 um the title you know i woke up and it's like shattered together and what shattered together is is like i was shattered truly shattered and each hour by hour i put myself back together and also together is the book is channeled and written together with the divine with logan with myself with 
what we call a ghost rider, which is just ironic to me because it's a ghost rider and like, oh. Um, so it is, uh, this book, I've realized that it is the universe's book, it's not mine. You know, I'm a part of it, it's my story. And what's beautiful about the book is that the, the, the st there's the story and each chapter has daily practices or, and it teaches you or provides tools and resources that people can use to move through their own journey. It's not just my story, which I love. Did that answer your question? I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes, you did. I think, you know, but I, I, early on in the book, and thank you for providing us an advanced copy so that, um, so that we might be able to really understand what your experience and what this journey has been like, or at least have an insight into it. I'm sure we don't really understand it because I, I can't imagine that you could have put all of it in there as much as you no. may have tried. Um, <laughs> Um, but one of the early, there are several things that just really stood out. But one of the first, um, you stated memories of all my screw ups, mm -hmm. what I should have said, what I should have done, and what I should have been able to prevent haunted me. And it's the word haunt that just really jumped off the page. How can, how until you got to a place, right? So obviously in a journey, you start one place and you're getting to somewhere else ultimately. But in those early days before, you know, when, when you're running on adrenaline and you're doing what you're doing and then you'd have those quiet moments, but before you got far enough that you could see a path before that day at the cemetery, mm -hmm. the thought of something haunting you, can you talk a little bit about not being able to sleep or not being able, just the, 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 the sheer uh, emotion of being haunted by something day and night. Yeah. So the moment you're open, before you even open your eyes in the morning, before it, so let me sit, speak from me, before I even opened up my eyes, the, that moment that you know you're coming awake, your eyes aren't open, um, the first thought is, Oh my God, Logan's not here again today. Mm -hmm. um, and, and from there, it's like, if I had only done this, had I not done, had I not said this, or if I could have just done this, or maybe, maybe if I could have just changed this one thing. So the last 18 months of our life was, um, full of turmoil and challenge and difficulty because Logan was masking. He had a mental health illness that most people didn't know. Um, and 90% of those who take their lives have 90% or more um, have a diagnosed or undiagnosed mental illness. Logan masked his with, with um, marijuana. Some people think it's good, some people don't. I, this is not a, a political debate. This is the fact that it didn't really work for Logan. He was masking. And so we had our, our challenges around that. And I tried to be the best parent that I could be and be as responsible as I could be to create and set boundaries and still be the loving and caring parent. And after a while, it wasn't working. I tried as much as I could that I knew how to try. And um, there was a lot, there was turmoil um, the last 18 months of his life. And that, that's what I remembered. You know, like all of my screw ups, all of what I should have said or shouldn't have said, all that I did and had, a, if I just had one more chance and just go back and just change that one thing, maybe that would have changed the trajectory of his life. You know, like the, the, it's the questioning that the, the it doesn't matter where you are, what, it doesn't matter where I was or what I was doing. I was constantly regurgitating that cycle in my head of like everything that I did or didn't do, everything from the, before he was even born, which there's a chapter in this book about that, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, that all the things that I did wrong. And even, even though they weren't wrong, <laughs> It was what I was doing to myself. I was totally just piling the guilt up, 
because I believed I deserved to, be, to punish myself. Like I deserved to be in that, in that self disdain. Like I hated myself for my son taking his life. Mm-hmm. And as a public figure at the time, or in you know at some point, you obviously have some uh, yeah. public yeah. recognition. How do you even start to process that? And uh, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about how people respond and comments that people make and questions that people ask. But how do you even begin to even come out of your house? Right. And, and face, <laughs> or I just, face a, just face a day. Yeah. You know, face the world knowing that everyone knows, you know, when you're beating yourself up, how do you mm. even begin to process with, you know, people having yeah. thoughts of thinking they know what you've gone through and yeah, I even, um, again, in the book, it says this, but I even shopped when I did shop because it was usually Ben and Jerry's ice cream or, or peanut butter. <laughs> but um, when I did eat, I wouldn't go to the local grocery, local grocery store for, I don't know how long, I think it's six months, uh, six weeks or, or three months, whatever it was, but I, it was a very long time um, because being a public figure all the all the the guilt and the shame I was piling on myself I was like certainly if I'm going to judge myself then everyone else is too so I'm not going to be able to look at at the pity in their eyes or like or the blaming uh, you know or turning down the aisle because they don't want to look at me or face me or they don't know what to say um I just couldn't face that and so I didn't shop and you know I didn't want to look at them I didn't want to go they even at the state house, there were times when I, when I did finally go back to work and actually go into the state house. Now he died, transitioned in March of 2010. So the legislature was still happening in Vermont. I didn't go back that year into the state house, but the following January in 2011, I had to go back to the state house. And even then I had a hard time to walk back into that building because I knew everybody there for many years and I didn't want, I, I wanted to talk about Logan, but as I walked through the hallway, some people would sit, shake their head and say hi and then dart off into the other direction so they didn't have to talk to me. Or some people would just drop their head. Um, they, don't, they don't know what to say. So at the time I was like, they're judging me. And now looking back, I'm like, they're turning away because they don't know what to say and they can't fathom. And even if they are judging me, who cares? Like, I don't care anymore. At the time, I did care, but it it is really hard, especially being a public figure. You know, there's, I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, Joe Biden's son dying and then having that debate and having that come up, Mm -hmm. you know, the attack on, on... it's just an example of what happens is why I'm bringing it up because it's fresh, not because I'm judging one way or another. It's just, it it is an example of like what the person that is experiencing, what I experienced was my own judgment. And then you have others judging as well. And you know, Kathleen, it's interesting this point about what people say or don't say and what we think people are saying or not saying or what they're thinking. Right. And, and uh, I don't know if I've said this on here on, in this forum on lemon drops, but it's something that I believe to be true that people are never really thinking about us, um, judging us as much as our egos want us to believe other people <laughs> are. Um, but it certainly is true that our society in particular is one that does not do a good job talking about death, right? It is an inescapable fact about life that we're not getting out of this alive, right? And so for us not to talk about death more um, so that 
at the at the least one of the issues isn't that people don't know what to say or that people don't feel like they can say something how do you think if at all um how do you think your book can help us as a society sort of move past that and you know and whether someone is experiencing you know the unexpected loss or not but just dealing with death and the grief that comes with that how do you think your book can help us move that conversation forward that's a great question whitney there's several places in the book that really talks about how you can respond to sudden and unexpected loss how you yourself can respond and the only the only thing we have control over first of all is how we respond in life we have no control over how anybody else does however in the book it does talk about what your needs are and how you can address your needs so there's a chapter in the book about how my significant other at the time who lived three hours from me and we dated for five years how he responded to to logan's death versus how i perceived that I wanted him to, to respond and how it, it broke our relationship up because I wanted him to respond a certain way. He was trying to respond to the way he thought I needed responding to. And in fact, there was zero communication about what I needed and what he wanted and needed. And because we were both trying to protect each other. So let's just put this on the table right now is like, it is not your job to protect anybody else. It is your job to speak up and say what you need. And you don't have to, and that sounds so harsh right there, because I could feel it coming out like that sounded like, you need to do this. But it, it, I, I'm so, um, I'm really passionate about when we need something, it is our job to speak our truth. It is our job. The only way someone can do something for us is if we are able to express that that's what we need. And as, as I say, we, to express it, say, you know, I don't know what I need right now, but the way you're responding doesn't feel good to me right now. That doesn't mean that you're blaming, you're just saying it's, it's not feeling good to me. And what I need right now is for you to hold me and cry with me. What I need for you for right now is for you to just let me speak my child's name or whatever you need, speak what you need in that moment. And you can even say, I don't know what I'll need 10 minutes from now, but what I need right now is for you to hold me. Or what I need right now is for you to just give me space. This is not about you, this is about me. I need to be alone and give me a half an hour or an hour or whatever you wanna put a time frame around it. And then say, please come back in then. But right now I need this time alone. For me, I needed to speak my son's name. I needed to be held. I needed to cry with someone. I needed to see, like for me, I needed to see someone else crying with me. And I wasn't seeing that. And that's no one's fault. It's just what happened, you know, in, in the book, I keep saying it in the book, but in the book, it talks about how, how Paul was his name would actually go in the shower and cry in the shower. Or when he would drive home, he, he would cry on his way home, but he'd keep his, he'd keep it together <laughs> um, when he was around me because he felt like I needed that strength and that he didn't want to add more burden to me to be crying with me. And, and so I agree create it was i was i had created a um resentment and anger toward like what is wrong you know why are you not showing you love my dot my son like what's going on you know like and so since we've had great conversations with good friends today um and it just didn't work on a romantic level but he's just a really good guy and um i just felt he deserved that acknowledgement in the book that and he was a great example of people love our children, love our loved ones, and we all respond to death differently. We all respond to life differently. <laughs> no, we all respond to 
things differently. And the only way that you can have good, clear, you know, connected relationships is if you actually have clear conversations, um, authentic and vulnerable conversations. And that's really what the book is about is my vulnerability. Like I have stuff in this book that really is pretty vulnerable. Um, and you two have read it. So you can say whether it was really hard to read or not to read, but I feel like me as an example, being honest, authentic, vulnerable, gives other people permission to be that as well. Um, so it's not all crying. It is, um, it is the, the facts and then it, there are uh, ways to move through that afterwards. There's solutions. One of the beautiful things about the book is that, you know, you tell the story surrounding life, you know, what was going on, but provide a path forward, you know, based on your experience and your path forward and things that you've learned since the early days and in your transition, your transition in terms of transformation um, from like just pure, you know, unapologetic grieving to a different level of grieving, right? And mm. so, because we're never really, we're, we're never without the grief of the loss that we have. Um, and so, you know, kind of without getting into it, it it's, it's challenging, has been challenging for me to read the book, right? You and I share uh, the story of losing our sons. And so it, it has been difficult for me to, to read the book. And so I have, you know, on multiple occasions, because this is my second time interviewing you about the book um, and before the first interview. And so I have just taken, read what I can. And, you know, and at some point I will be able to go back and read it in its totality. So at this point, I'm sort of I'm picking and choosing, <laughs> yeah. you know, so to speak. And I know Greer had um, a different reaction in, in terms of reading it. Yeah. Can I just know, respond to that first? Sure. Absolutely. Just, if I could. Absolutely. I just want to remind the your listener or our listener is that not only Whitney did did you lose your son, you lost him suddenly and unexpectedly as well, you know? And so we all, I mean, just losing a child is just crazy heart-wrenching and can't imagine I would want, just, I wouldn't want anybody to have to experience it. And when you lose them suddenly and unexpectedly, it, it creates another layer of grief that, that just piles on a little more yeah. because there's the what ifs and if onlys. Um, and, and not to say it's better or worse, it's just different. And so right. just want to acknowledge you for that, Whitney. And the book does, is laid out so where you can pick and choose, that you don't have to go through the whole book and read the entire thing. You can look at the chapters and if something draws your attention, you can go to that chapter and read it from there. You don't have to read the whole thing at once. So I just, it's so honor and respect you, Whitney, for being willing to read the parts you can, and I hold you close in my heart. Well, thank you. Greer, you were sharing about sort of your experience. Yeah, as I, as I read, and I had, you know, I didn't know you, I didn't know the, your story or Logan's story. There were a lot of, it brought back a flood of emotion and uh, just a lot of the, In a lot of the internal wrangling, for lack of a better mm -hmm. term, that I imagine Whitney went through when her son transitioned. And as the aunt, or as a, a bystander, I'll say, um, and I was with, we were all together when his accident happened. He, had a, he died in a, a car, as a result of a car accident. And another person actually died in the accident as well. And two additional passengers were hospitalized, but has, has since, you know, fully recovered. 
but as the person who's not the mother or the parent, even though I was there, you know, I had, it was traumatic for me to watch my nephew die, literally, to, to watch him, just to watch him expire, to watch Whitney, to watch Whitney watch him die, and to be there and to try to help Whitney Shepherd, just to help go through this process. And it's a multi-month, multi-year, you know, I think you may look at it in different uh, sort of segments, right? The immediate, and you do in the book, but the immediate days and weeks, because there's so much to do and you are running on adrenaline and then you get to uh, just sort of when everybody leaves and you're now you've got to face it and you know the cameras are gone the people are gone the support isn't necessarily what it had been and then just the years after going through that and I remember not feeling that I had permission to ask for help for myself right or because it was about Whitney, it was, you know, it's about you, your child died, both of you, your children died. So who is Paul or who am I or who is anyone else to say, hey, let's take some attention away from you and focus that on me. And I, you know, so I, I think I, I feel the Paul role in that, right? <laughs> He's trying to be strong for you because what does he look yeah. like saying, you know, yeah, I know you're, you're, you're in pain, but so am I. And it's interesting to hear you say, but you needed that because that was part of honoring Logan's life. Yeah. It, otherwise, it's, and I recall Whitney once saying, or maybe not more than once, but I recall Whitney saying that she needed to know that he mattered to other people, not just to exactly. her. That other exactly. people had pain that they had to, that they had to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be either or career. And so I talk a little bit about that in the book as well. It's like no matter the relation, no matter who it is, no matter what you're going through, it you are in a grieving process. So it doesn't mean that it has to be away from Whitney or away from me. It can be just the conversation and say, and I'll use you and Whitney as an example, and just say, hey, Whitney, I am so hurting with you. And I want to just be here and cry with you. This is not about taking it away from you. It, it is about sharing the pain with you because we're both in it. And I know I'm not going, I know he is not my son. And yet I am so am filled with pain right now too. And just to acknowledge that is just like, yeah, he did matter to everyone. Like he did matter. He does make a difference on this world, on this earth. And we're speaking about children right now and it could also be that while you couldn't get, you didn't feel um, that it was right to ask for assistance from your family, and there's other resources to be able to grieve. Yeah. So there are other resources like counselors or friends or um, your, your, um, your church, your, um, for me, it was energy healers and um, mediums. You know, I like, I like meet one medium after another. I went in, and, you know, I don't think I said it in this book, but I did in another book that, that, you know, how I found out about the note is through a medium. I did not know there was a note when Logan transitioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, a month or two down the road from, I went to a medium in New York when I lived in Vermont and he actually took his life in, in South Carolina. So the medium said, you know, there's something they're keeping from you. Like there's something in the records you do not know. So go get the records. Mm, and that's how I found out. So, so there are different ways to, to acknowledge your own grief. So first of all, we all have a right to our feelings, all of us, every one of us, no matter your relation to the one that's transitioned or not, you know, no matter whether it's a job loss, you know, let's, let's use a job loss to 
lighten it up a little here. <laughs> but, um, a, I don't a job know if that does or not in the middle of our current situation, but yeah, true yeah. enough. But you have you have a person who loses the jo- loses the job, and then their partner's there. So the person who lost the job has all kinds of emotions around losing the job and responsibilities and and shame and like whatever. And then you have the partner. So the partner's just as worried about how are you going to pay the bills? How are we going to pay the bills? Well, I want to support you, but I have my own fears and my own my own grief around this. So it's about communicating and acknowledging you have feelings around it. So really just having those feelings and saying you have those feelings is what is the key to it, no matter what that is. Because that's okay. what we hide. What we hide, this is the big message, what we hide and, and sit in shame over is that there are people all around us hiding stuff and sitting in shame that is just as bad, if not worse. So we're all suffering alone. So why not share where you are so where you're not holding the shame or self-blame or guilt inside alone when there's all kinds of other people out there doing the same thing? Why not free ourselves from from that cage, from those shackles, <laughs> you know, like we, we, mm-hmm. are, we are caging ourselves in this horrible space by not sharing how we feel. Let me, let me ask this question, just so that I'm a little bit more clear. You're obviously, whether you lose a child or lose a job or, or you know, get a divorce or whatever, you feel whatever it is that you feel. You know, maybe it's it's, it's a case of a divorce, maybe glee, you know, who knows. Um, But you you feel what you feel. And if that's, you know, and assuming that it's a traumatic experience, you feel pain, you feel despair, you feel any number of things. By my saying, well, I feel that too, or I feel what I'm feeling, and I want to feel it together with you. Is it, well, let me, let me ask it a different way. Do you, as the mother in this instance, do you want to feel the pain? Do you want to not feel the pain? Do you want to, is part of your goal or part of your objective in your own healing process to get out of this pain, mm. to, to, to yeah. not feel the pain? So by me coming to you and saying, you know, I feel pain too. And let's go down this pain road together. And you're trying to turn a corner and go a different, feel up or uplifted or something. I think that's part of what people may be trying to do, right? In being strong and stoic for you or being, you know, changing the subject or using comedy or levity or whatever to lighten the mood. And is that, are they actually hurting you by dragging you back down into a place that you're so desperately trying to dig out of? Well, I think at the very beginning, Greer, that um, no matter what someone would have said to me, I would have been in that pain no matter what. So, um, and what my book talks about and what I teach and what I help people through today is that the only way to be, the only way to not feel the pain is to move through it. So you actually have to acknowledge the pains there. You have to acknowledge what you're holding. You don't have to do anything. For me, the only way that I was able to move through it is to actually move through it, to actually feel the pain. And lots of times society is teaching us to mask the pain. Go take a pill, take a drink, you know, um, overwork, overexercise. mask the pain out of this do 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 or or you know use substances to mask it none of that really completely works works because you're still carrying it mm-hmm. and you're pushing it down or you're avoiding it or you know facing the pain with some a professional of one sort or another it doesn't have to be a psychologist it can be all forms which i talk about in the book but walk through it one hour at a time one minute at a time facing it because no one 
has ever died facing their pain. Actually, you know, like hmm. going through a process, no mm -hmm. one, as much as you think, oh my God, I can't, I'll get stuck there. Your brain tries to keep you in that because you think you're going to get stuck. If I, if I let that in, I'm just going to die with that pain. Like I'm going to die with it. But it actually, if you were to cry it out, you talk it out, you feel it out, it actually moves through you. And then you feel better. There's a reason why we said I need, we, we, you know, the, the saying is I need a good cry. Because when you have yeah. a good cry, you always feel better afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> because you're letting it out. You're releasing it. You're not holding on to it. Because it only grows. I was oh. going to say, can we talk a little bit about the A life and the B life? I, I think that that concept in terms of starting to move forward, mm -hmm. you know, and you feel the pain and, and starting to take steps to, to move forward or maybe a C mm -hmm. life. And can you have a Z life? <laughs> you can have any lives you want. Or at what point are you I just know. avoiding? At <laughs> yeah. what point are you changing, you know, going from the A life to the B life to the C life or reinventing your life or re, mm -hmm. you know, building a new life versus avoiding yeah. the previous life? Um, well, that's a good question because I think we all grieve differently and we all have different timelines and it depends on what the situation is and what, you know, like there's all kinds of variables. So I can't tell you specifically, just like this grief is not linear. It's going to ebb and flow and it's going to come and go. And as Whitney stated earlier, Whitney talked about how you, you never really grieve, you never really get over grief. And um, there's no, so there's three things that, that, that I love to clarify when I have interviews is one, you never get over it. You never move on. Those are not things and committed is not part of the language we use for suicide anymore. Um, so what we do do, however, is that we move through it. So where we have a different life. So the A life that you had, the moment before you found out the news, whatever that news is, the moment before you were assaulted, the moment before whatever it is, you have an A life. That's no longer. Your A life is no longer because from this point forward, your B life includes this, this trauma. It includes it. And so, you have to make the best of your B life in order to live a fulfilled life. It has to be the best life that you can have. So it's a trauma is, is, is information like every other part of your life. It's just more in your face. <laughs> it's, it's, there's more to move through. It is part of your life. And so what I teach people and what I say to everyone is there's a grief prescription and it's the three B's. Be, which means be in the moment. Don't look too far out in the future because you do. It just causes more anxiety, causes more stress, causes more depression. And it just has these stories going around in your head based on what you knew, not what you know that can be. It's, always, it's all based on the fears. The second is breathe. So be in the moment. Breathing will help you stay in the moment. If you focus on the, the four square, Breathe in exercise is what I share with people is breathe into the count of four, hold it to the count of four, breathe out to the count of four and hold it to the count of four and do that four times in a row. And if that's not enough, do it four more times because breathing brings you back into the moment. You're centering, you breathe deep into, you, when you breathe into the count of four, you're breathing deep. So you're following your breath. It, it brings you into the moment. It helps keep your oxygen flowing so we stay healthier. There's all kinds of reasons why breathing is so important. And the third B is believe. Believe that you're not alone. Believe you can make it through this and believe you are connected to a higher power. Believe there is another life that you can live that's fulfilled, connected, and joyous if you're willing to start taking the steps to move through your grieving process one hour at a time. That's, um, that's so good. And I've heard you say that, you know, on a number of occasions um, for different things. And, 
and where I would like for us to, to leave this conversation is from a place of hope, which is where I think you've started to lay that foundation. Uh, you've talked uh, several times, mentioned the hour by hour, the minute by minute. Now your three Bs of be, breathe, and believe. What, what can you share um, with the listener that just will give them the ability to, to, to believe, right? Is that, that, because that's where the hope piece of this comes from is, is getting to a place where you can believe that this be life can be something other than stuck in that moment of trauma. How can they, how can they do that? And how can the hope begin to flourish so that they can move through? So Shattered Together, this sounds like a sales pitch, but it's not because there's a number of books out there. And Shattered Together, A Mother's Journey from Grief to Belief is truly a guide to help you move through your sudden loss. It, it has all kinds of, of practices and tools and resources that you can use to move through your very beginning of of your journey and it is a journey um, i also have a program starting in november called um, stepping stones it's an eight-week virtual program for a, heal a sacred circle of those who have lost someone suddenly and unexpectedly to start your journey on your healing practice so i will be there taking your hand walking beside you over an eight-week process over the holidays so where you too can move through this as well the third is I, I have um, healing circles starting uh, this month. There are 90-minute healing circles, so up to 20 people in a circle. It's a sacred circle that I, I work with you. It's virtual, um, and usually the people in the group ultimately end up having very similar um, losses or traumas or challenges or body pains or aches, and I work with them through an energetic process um for 90 minutes that's 111 dollars for the 90 minutes for that circle it's a reasonable cost for that circle um and then you know if it's not me then work with someone else work with other energy healers work with mediums work with their clergy work with a, a cognitive thought therapist start your process start your process um, because from when I was laying on Logan's grave, begging and wishing to die as well, to where I am today, I hope that I am your inspiration and your hope. Because today I, I have removed many layers. I've worked through many layers that were blocking my own light. And now I feel like my light is connected to Logan, is connected to the divine that I have a joy-filled, amazing life. And now it's not always perfect. And even this interview, there were times it was difficult and I had tears in my eyes and it was hard to talk because anytime that you go back to the moment, it brings you right back to that, that traumatic moment. And so know that you can have Memories that bring sadness at the same time as feeling joy. It's not one or the other. It is both. Um, so there are many ways that you can feel that hope and inspiration. And I hope just hearing where I am today gives you that hope. One of the, one of the statements in the book that just jumped off the page for me in terms of sort of encapsulating the essence, uh, you know, what I got out of it now. It may not be mm -hmm. what you wanted me to get out of it, but I think it is. You say a large part of the healing journey is about finding emotional equilibrium and restoring your vibrancy, power, and light after experiencing such a sudden and profound loss. That notion of finding some sort of pure joy and the essence mm -hmm. of who you are and letting that person 
almost like letting the, the, the person who's suffering, letting that go. Not letting the person who transitioned, but letting mm -hmm. the part of you that is in such pain, letting that, letting it go or, cert, or at least giving it right. space and moving yeah. through it to this other place where you are sort of back to or better than. Because now you have this added experience mm -hmm. that's part of your new, you know, be like. Right. And I, I just found that so um, emotional. There were certainly times that I teared up reading this book, <laughs> but just the idea that, yes, it's a journey, but at the end of this journey, you can find the light and pleasure and joy in your life again. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a really good point, Greer, because I felt like I needed to be in pain. Like I felt I deserved to be in pain and I didn't want to let that go. But what me holding on to that pain and punishing myself did was prevented me from remembering some really happy times and remembering that I was a really good parent, that I really did love my son and that he really did love me and he knew that, it, that I loved him and that I still do love him. And that it brought, as I started to move through and, re, and move through some of that pain and dissolve it, I started to remember more light and remember the bond that we did have for, you know, almost 18 years of his life, you know, like 19 years, he was, he was 19 years old. And most of his life, we had a really good connection, an amazing bond, you know, when I'd come home from work, he would come running out of his bedroom, mommy, 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 you're home. What's for dinner? I love you. What's for dinner? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like there were all kinds of things that just like, it brings back happy memories. And as you move through that pain and allow yourself the grace and ease that you deserve, that's really what it's about. It's about forgiving yourself and allow yourself that grace and ease. You will be reminded over and over and over again, some of the amazing things that you've done, that you've accomplished, that, um, that your loved one wants, you know, in the book I talk about, just the one simple question, if your loved one was here and you weren't here, would you want your loved one to stay in pain and suffer? No, no, you wouldn't. You would want them to move through and remember to move through and, and find the pearl within the oyster here, you know, yeah. find the beauty, find that light within all of this pain because there is light and beauty in every experience that we have and while i would never wish this on anybody and i would give my life today so logan could be here and grow old with his sister that's not a choice so what can i do to find the light so i can carry forth and honor him and honor me and serve my life purpose here on earth what can i do to do that so that's, that's my, my life is every moment of every day is this in the highest and best for all. And is this part of my life purpose? Now I get off track at times, but like we all do. But. Yeah. Well, Kathleen, I want to thank you for joining us, for sharing a little bit of your story, um, sharing about your new book, Shattered Together. It is available on Amazon, yes, and yes. Um, and, and we, my website and your website, and we will have all your contact information and the um, your website and other ways to get in touch with you or to work with you in the show notes. Um, but I just want to thank you again for coming and joining us. Thank you so much, Whitney and Greer. I really appreciate both of your willingness to be vulnerable here too. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, my final thoughts on this is I read during the times after um, my son's passing, um, it was given a book called A Grace Disguise uh, by Jerry Sitzer. And in the 15 plus years since Theron transitioned, 
that has been the book that I have recommended to other people who are experiencing um, their own grief. I am adding Shattered Together to my very short list of recommended readings um, for this. And I think this is not a book that just needs to be limited to people who are while it is written from a perspective of sudden grief, um, you know, grief due to sudden loss, that it is not limited to that. And that there's so much to be learned about the process. And as I mentioned earlier, we are not a society that takes the time really to have discussions about death and grief. And if we did, some of it wouldn't take it all away but kind of removing the mystery of what people go through what they're feeling um when they're experiencing loss would we could take some of that uh alleviate some of that and help in the process so uh, i am absolutely uh, recommending that you get the book read it um and whether or not you are currently going through a journey of grief um, or pick it up for someone that you know who is. So um, with that, Greer, any final word? I just want to thank Kathleen for not only sharing her story with us and our audience, but in trusting us to help convey some of the messages in the story. It, again, was a very, um, is, is sad as some of this is, it was very uplifting, ultimately. And whether your loss, as you say, is a death or a job, a divorce, a, you know, whatever, there are, there are plenty of things in this book that would help people journey through, get through that period to the other side where things can be better. Mm. So I, I thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Kara. You were going to say about me? Yeah. We'll give I, you the just, final word. Just one quick thing. Um, thank you both so much. Um, while it is a book on journeying through grief and loss, the tools and techniques and resources and practices can also be used to prevent loss. So I don't say that often, but for whatever reason, I just, just continue to get that hit in this particular, like this can prevent, can help prevent suicide. It can help prevent depression. It can help prevent anxiety. It can help preventing the sudden loss um, or the, the, turmoil that people are going through right now in life. So um, thank you both so much. Just thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. Thanks for joining us for Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. If you like our show, please share with your friends. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. Your questions, comments, and feedback are welcome. You can find out more about us at lifelemonslemondrops.com. 